Welcome to Unicom's Dermis Deep Podcast, where we turn the interview tables around on our faculty members. All right, so with the amount of knowledge that us Unicom medical students are forced to fit into our heads, we only superficially learn about the faculty that work tirelessly to ensure each one of us becomes a competent and compassionate physician. Sometimes it feels like we only scratch the surface of getting to know our faculty. So in an effort to get to know them on a deeper than epidermis level, we'll go layer down and learn about them dermis deep. So this is Dermis Deep Podcast. We're going to turn the interview tables around, ask Unicom faculty some questions about themselves. I'm your host, Sean Byrne, graduating fourth-year medical student and previous uh, anatomy and OMM fellow. And today I'm joined by Catherine Hanafi, um, Unicom faculty member. What's your actual title? Um, are you an assistant? Clinical- right now I'm an assistant clinical professor and I'm the um, discipline director for internal medicine and some kind of course content for OCS2 clinical skills. Mm-hmm. Awesome. Well, thank you for joining me today. Um, how are you doing? Thank you for having me, Sean. This is cool. Yeah. I'm going to go watch all the other faculty's videos. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, you, you totally should. You totally should after this. And hey, I've got plans for a few more coming up after cool. um, as well. So the, the interview question and like what sparked me to doing this podcast is like uh, for a few faculty members, just like how, how did you get here to Unicom? Cause like a lot, I feel like you, you're just kind of like forced into it. You didn't really get that like background information, but how did you find up um, here or in Biddeford, Maine, in beautiful Biddeford, Maine? So I'm a, I'm a graduate of uh, Unicom 2004 and I was, um, looking to go to medical school, but I was a little unusual. I studied anthropology, biological anthropology, and wrote my like senior thesis in college on PMS. Um, and I was, maybe I'm a little bit of a hippie, I don't know. But I had, I had, I had also had a, a friend who was a chiropractor and I really liked um, the idea of being able to do science and being able to teach people. And I really liked manual like medicine. I thought it was cool. And the combination of the three was great. And then I came up to interview and I thought um, it was such a nice place that was so interested in the students. They took me, I was happy. I was a summer person um, in Kenny Bunkport growing up. So I knew the area and I liked the area. Um, and it helped that during the warmer parts of the year, I could stay at my, my, my family house, which wasn't heated at the time. So, but I, and I just liked you and I, um, I still like UNE as when I graduated, I still liked it. I, everyone likes to complain because you get tired. But the thing I liked about UNE is um, they actually listen to their students. You think they don't, but they do. And I know that because I went to Harvard and they definitely don't listen to their students. UNE really is interested in their students. They really pay attention to what you say. They constantly change things, which is good because they listen to you bad because we can never really do a trial on the effect of our curriculum because it's always moving. <laughs> But I always thought that UNE was like the little engine that could, and it had a really lovely spirit um, within it, and even the just the un, like the undergraduate community, and I liked it, and I always thought that I would come back. That's awesome. Yeah, no, that's like I remember my interview day at UNE. It just seemed more like like congenial. Like everybody seemed like fine, you know, like like very friendly. Like it wasn't 
a few places kind of felt like there was like a, an underlying like cutthroatness in it kind of thing you know yeah, which yeah. might not be have been the case but it just seemed like everybody wasn't actually like friends but when people here like yeah we're gonna go you know play soccer afterwards or we're gonna go grab a beer or something it was like okay that's the kind of place I want to be for you know four years rather than dealing with <laughs> you know you know the isolation and like the, the competitiveness that mm-hmm. um, but yeah there's a part of you and I also thought they didn't want to remake you into someone else that who you came as was good enough and they liked and that was that's very different than kind of my education before where you were supposed to be some some something but it, and it wasn't what you were um and so I liked that about you and I was I was uh I think I turned 30 second year so I was like I think I'm fine I'm not gonna be someone different <laughs> that's over you know and you and he embraces us sort of for what we come with you know awesome so where did you go afterwards so you graduated you did internal medicine residency yeah I actually stayed at the Newark site which I don't know is still a site so I stayed in Newark um at St. Michael's I was there third year and then I stayed for residency and I almost did a pulmonary fellowship and then just decided like I didn't like vents I didn't want to have like chronic vent just too much and um worked uh I worked in um Carney and Bayonne with uh, Hudson Internal Medicine with Dr. Cardiello and Dr. Bonnie who are wonderful doctors and it was just three of us and it was a, an amazing practice it was on paper I drew oh. every tube of blood on most of them I gave every shot wow his, his Dr. Cardiello's father had been a pediatrician in Bayonne and so we had patients who had been his father's pediatric patients. So it was a wonderful practice that Dr. Cardiello had of like the grandparents, the parents and the children. It was a great practice. And I I actually saw um, kids from age 16. I think my license in New Jersey would allow that for internal medicine, which was great. And it was great. But then suddenly, you know, my husband works night, work nights and I work days and family came to move in. And I was like, dude, I, I had a baby. I was like, I don't think I can... I used to come home at like 10 o'clock rounding because um, we rounded in three hospitals too. I mean, it was old school. Like we each went to one hospital one day and we had like two nursing homes for the three of us who worked there. And I suddenly was just like, I can't do these things. And so I ran the um, resident medical clinic, the charity care clinic at St. Michael's um, for, for a couple of years, which was a wonderful job because my colleagues were great. The residents were interesting. The students rotated through too. And I got to see my own Newark um, underinsured or uninsured or slightly insured patients in the morning and then precepted the clinic in the afternoon. And we occasionally um, admitted um, patients, but there really wasn't a lot of call. Mm-hmm. So it was a much easier kind of time to be working. And it was a great job. I mean, that was a wonderful job. That was like God's work. You know, it really made a difference. I, I loved that job. It's the only thing I miss about uh I don't know any part I would take back. It would be that job. And from there, at some point, it was time to like not live in New Jersey anymore. <laughs> so that's when I came back and I worked um, in Southern Maine for a couple of years and was teaching part-time. But I really loved the teaching. And at some point I realized I just couldn't type fast enough and I was too old to take typing tutor. And at this point, um, you know, Southern Maine and I think Maine isn't quite where the rest of the world is uh, getting scribes and stuff. <clears throat> Since it was like a corporate job, I, I couldn't hire my own and they weren't really interested in doing that. So I was like, okay, <laughs> I have to go home before nine o'clock. 
only yeah. have one penny is getting old. Like, what, what, maybe I'm just too slow typing. It's time to kind of reevaluate. And sort of my dreams changed. Mm-hmm. So to come teach full time, I always loved it. Medical students are the best. And so I just, I just loved it. And it has been a really easy transition, though I do miss patients. You know, your patients sort of haunt you forever. They stay with you. They kind of walk with you sometimes. So, yeah, absolutely. You know, that's, that's interesting to hear about, um, like the scribes and everything like that. I know like some places have been like contracting out to like India and like one of the, the preceptors I was with had like a, like a, like an iPad and there was a dude in Bangalore, India that was listening in, um, and then would type the notes for him and was like learning how to write them and just paying them, um, which, I probably would have hired a pre-med to get someone into med school, you know, for a couple of years. Like, I don't need to cost optimize them in primary. Yeah, no, and that's and that's how I felt about it. It felt it felt a little bit weird, but at the same time, you're yeah, it's it's like it's tough. It is tough, and like yeah, writing notes and can be like the hard part, especially with typing or being able to dictate. Like, there's a lot of the software that seems and. I don't know if you've been in an emergency room lately. That's what every uses, just like talking into like this little like thing. Dragon. A lot of the a little dragon, a little a lot of dragon thing. Yeah. Same thing with a lot of internal medicine residencies. But yeah, I, I think I I started it, but I think that if I did it again, I probably would do direct primary care, um, and that I would probably have my own internal charity care kind of uh, policy. Mm-hmm. Do you know what I mean? So that because it's really nice to take care of people who are underinsured. Mm-hmm. It's nice to have a panel of uh, financial diversity. Yeah. Um, no, a hundred percent agree. There's, I did, uh, did two rotations, one in Manchester, New Hampshire, my hometown, and then one in, um, uh, Portland, uh, for healthcare for the homeless. And I really like that. Cause like, it's, you know, it is primary care, but a lot of it is it's you're, those are the people you're seeing in like the emergency room a lot of the time that are so, you know, underinsured and you're just doing harm reduction and just trying to meet people where they're at. And it was really, really cool. It's really interesting when you learn that uh, I don't, I think a lot of new Americans don't understand the way our system works. And a lot of Americans don't understand the system. So the ER is like a way you get care. Like you just wander into a clinic and actually, so there's this whole re-education that kind of has to happen too, that I don't think we're very good at when we, you know, capture people into the system, but. No, a hundred percent agree. And it just seems to be going that way (laughs) for better or worse. Uh, but that's unfortunately a system we're living in, but it is, it is what it is, but thank you for, you know, telling me about like the path that, that led you here. Um, so what does it mean for you? And you kind of touched on this already, but for you being a, a graduate of here and then coming back and at least feeling like you come back, what does it mean for you to be here and to be like teaching? Um, does it mean anything? Like, I, I mean, I love UNE. I really feel dedicated to UNE. You know, we always donate some money. I probably need to donate more, but um, it was a great opportunity for me to come and I feel thankful for UNE. I also feel like there are things that um, uh, as the world changes, it's okay for you guys to get, oh, my people are loud. Hold on. <laughs> like the beauty of remote, right? With post-COVID. Yeah. Absolutely. Anyway, I, I really, I, I love, you know, I love UNE students. I think they're different. We're different than other schools, to tell you the truth. There's a different, and I don't know if it's kind of the way we prioritize how we do admissions or if it's the way, um, you know, Dr. Carrero has sort of led us or just the philosophy overall. Um, are, they're just nice people, interesting people, earnest and curious about the world. And it ends up, or maybe the way, you know, you go through first and second year where you work together 
you know, it's a, such a pleasure to work with students. And, and it's not the same at all schools. And I've encountered like some others, both when I was rotating and uh, when I worked with residents, um, it's not the same everywhere. And I don't know if you've found that too, but um, it's a, a pleasure to kind of um, help people be better than I was, which <laughs> we were talking about at suturing, you know, like the beginning when you end up at third year and they're like, do you want to suture? And I mean, I must have like backed out of the room like, uh, no, I'm okay today, you know, but, but really the job is to like swallow your fear and be like, have enough skill to do it. So it's been nice for me to kind of be like, okay, I can see what you guys need. Let me help you get further along in this process. It's so nice I have a chance to kind of move curriculum along, you know, so now we'll suture three times or four times, or we'll try to send you guys with expertise. And things are changing so quickly, you know? Um, so that gives me a lot of satisfaction. And it, it makes me really um, happy to be helpful writing like the internal medicine letters too for residency. Um, I think they're good. Um, I try to make them like really personal and with the personal stories you guys kind of bring to me. Um, and that, I, it takes me a ton of time, but I feel like it's a job well done and you guys deserve it, you know? And I think sometimes, um, you know, medicine is so impersonal. Um, and so it's nice to be, to try to be personal. No, yeah. And I'm glad you brought that up. I just remember seeing you at that time. Like, yeah, I mean, I was in the process of flying. You were all exhausted, I read. Yeah, yeah, just, you're like, yeah, I'm like writing these. And like, yeah, it's, it seems like a Herculean effort to to get all of those out. They're always, they're always better when you have your last summer, you know, like comments in and I can be like, oh, Mm -hmm. (laughs) add them in but um, yeah yeah and I mean we there's a lot of um I mean we have like what almost 180 per class there's a lot and a lot of our students that wind up doing internal medicine so it's it's, uh, I think like almost 40 but I wrote a lot of letters I think where's this where's the site in uh in Maine that uh they really rotate with family instead of internists so they all need medicine letters they need prelim med letters I ended up writing letters for people that they rotated with a hospitalist every week. So they never had anyone who knew them. So like, it's a, it's such a, a night. It's, you know, it feels really valuable and worthwhile to be the one to kind of be an antidote to some of the challenges of mm-hmm. American yeah, medicine. That, yeah. yeah. You kind of get, you're kind of like, you're stuck in the middle of that a little bit as a student. So yeah. Like the impersonalization, even like I, I did my, I did, I did a lot of, internal medicine all over the place but I did six weeks of it um at uh a residency North Shore Medical Center in Salem Mass right, um, right. during my third year which was great because it was, it was a really great experience but on those services like you have like an attending for like six days and then it's rotating and like you no one no one no one will write your letter I remember talking yeah. to a couple students who were like I asked this one I asked that one and they both were like I'm just not comfortable mm. <laughs> they were like I don't know what to do. I was like, okay. Yeah, no, I luckily I got like the assistant program director write me one. He's a super nice guy, but like okay. when I asked for it, I think and somebody had told me this, like give like an example of like a, a patient that you had together um, right. and, and like a patient that I, I had owned. And then I was the one that broke like the news to him about like this terrible diagnosis, but it felt like very validating wow. being like a, a third year student and being able to do this is like, Oh, what I came to medicine to like, to, like give people bad news, but to be a, like a, have a role. doctor. Exactly. Yeah. Well, I mean, it's inescapable that 
forward momentum. <laughs> yeah, yeah. I'm going to be thrust into it real soon. When's, when's uh, July starting? Like a couple yeah, months Yeah, you know, close. I think yeah. I got an ulcer between now and July because I was like... <laughs> yeah, that's like, I have like nothing, like, no, I don't have that much to do. I'm like trying to catch up on reading. Like I'm yeah. filling out all the paperwork as fast as it's coming to me. But at the same time, it's like... Like the first time in my life, I have nothing to do. I'm like, what? What do I do now? Get a road trip or something. Yeah, yeah. yeah. I'm going to Ireland at the end of the month, so that'll be perfect. Cool. Um, perfect. What else? You <sighs> All right. So speaking of like having like an ulcer, and you know, with the you talking about being at that practice where things were, you know, you're having a kid and you're there's stretch too thin. What's something you do? now to like recharge your batteries or that you've done over the years to help you get back to like an even keel and feeling like you can start um, with like fresh eyes and ears and everything you know this is really a tough uh question and and i don't know um you know primary care is not primary care is, is not shift work really and so it was hard and i don't know if it's a woman problem or a traditional woman problem it was hard to keep the things i did before residency and then having a kid it was hard to keep those present I remember saying what like a cardiologist said to me Kate you have to have a hobby and I was like dude my hobby is grocery shopping and laundry like what 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 are you talking about because he was like yeah I had surgery and I was home recuperating and I made a mistake and I went to the grocery store and I was like dude you're killing me here like you went to the grocery store for the first time I mean he was in his 70s it was traditional kind of yeah, but, it, but you do lose that stuff unless you make a priority. And then suddenly when you have a family, your priority is like your partner, you have to walk your dog, which is great. Or you, you have to show up to kindergarten graduation. And honestly, I have a couple thoughts. Well, first, I now things that I did before, I mean, I used to run five miles a day. I can't do that anymore. So I walk the dog. I garden. I make random things, never the same thing. I like finished some tables and stained it like gray and shellacked it this summer. Came out pretty well considering I go through stages of art things. One year, I think in med school, I knitted. And then I was like, yeah, I'm bored of this. I made scarves <laughs> and I was like, yeah, I'm done. And so that for me is sort of fun to change, try new things all the time, learning mm -hmm. new things. This year, I'm super into gardening and I'm building beds and, you know, it's fun growing from seeds and- yeah. I want that feeling of at the end of the day, being able to like cut some lettuce and pull a couple tomatoes from the garden. That's a nice, and you can do that even if it's the pot on your window ledge. But I mean, it is hard during residency to keep a plant living. I don't know if I'd test it. I'd kind of just start out, you know, start out. But uh, I do think one of, the, one of the things that's important was also for me to have a vision of the future and not just kind of walking and I like to look at trees and I like to go to, I used to go to the beach even in like February when there were snowstorms. But the thing that's important is um, to decide where you want to be and to periodically not let the momentum of medicine take away your ability to planning for what you want your day to look like. Mm -hmm. You know, it's so medicine is like all of practicing medicine is so amazing, but it can be also a selfish pleasure because it's so exciting. Um, and you can leave your family and the people who are important kind of behind, but you also can get so um, pressed by it to be in its service. You don't owe the world anything. Do you, do you know what I mean? You don't, yeah. you have to really figure out how to, 
you don't, I mean, I mean, you're, what you're paying for this. You have a decreased retirement account. I mean, the world owes you for mortgaging your future with these giant loans. You don't owe the world. And for a while you feel like that opportunity you had to go to school is so meaningful. Like you have this debt you have to pay to, you know, sort of to humanity or something, but you don't, you've got to figure out how to make it for the long game. Yeah. And so I think it's also working for a little bit and changing jobs. You know, don't, you don't have to be anyone's fool and work every night and be on call every day. Like it's ridiculous. It's not, you know, we get, we get that, that Atlas ball starts first and second year and it's kind of small. It's like a volleyball and it's cool and you can bounce it. And then by the end of residency, it's a pretty big ball. And then after two or three years of being an attending, it's heavy. Then you suddenly have other things you juggle with the giant ball. And sometimes you have to put the ball down and in that you, you have to, one of the things I think that has to do with wellness is reevaluating what your priorities are and what your hopes are and what you want your day to look like and allowing your dreams to change to not be static and to not think that you owe anyone something other than, you know, it can be very specific. Like I would like to not work when it's dark in the winter. Yeah. I would like to have a couple hours when I, you know, you don't have to be seven days a week or work nights or, I mean, you have to make the job fit you. And, and it involves leaving jobs to find it because, you know, people do use doctors, you know, there are a lot of opportunistic businesses, right? Oh, 100%. That hire us. And so if you can be your own boss and be off for Little League every day or to, because you want to walk your dog until 10 o'clock every day, like figure out how to do it. Mm-hmm. Like don't, you know, don't compromise on that. You guys aren't quite ready to hear that yet, but no, no, that's great. Not forget. I mean, I'm not telling you to tell your attendings <laughs> not coming in at five because I need to do my wellness thing. No one wants to hear that. No. But I think it, it involves how you you cover for your colleagues so they can go to weddings so you can go yeah you know so you can do all those things anyway i think that's more important even than what you do to day to day for relaxation i love that no i i love that you were first initially when you're talking about like hobbies you talk about different ones i think there's something about doing something new relatively frequently where you get out of your comfort zone you're like wow i suck at this thing and like you're learning new skills though and, and applying them and it's, it's important because i don't know it's i think it's important to be humble you know, just like yeah. staying humble a little bit and like nothing's going to humble you like doing a new hobby, like a yeah. lot of the time. Um, <laughs> totally. You can watch as many YouTube videos as you want, but eventually you got to like, try it yourself and it doesn't come out the way that you'd hoped. So. You planted and you're like, oh, nothing grew. <laughs> I mean, like, not that I had garden space for a long time, but you know, you can still put a pot on your balcony, or your deck or your fire escape, you know? Or like the pH of the soil is off, so you get like carrots that are like not even like an inch long. <laughs> you know? I grow easy stuff now. I'm just starting to get to the harder stuff. Mm-hmm. <laughs> um, but I love that, and I also yeah, I think that's a, a huge thing. That's at least in the background of my mind too. Is eventually, you know, there is like a high burnout rate in in medicine in general, and knowing that, um, yeah, I mean, as a physician, you're likely always going to be able to find a job somewhere doing something. So it's important yeah, to reevaluate or negotiate um when you're starting a new position being like all right these are the things that are important to me or, um, or figure out how to be your own boss i don't think it's that hard yeah no really yeah and like the the physicians that i have seen that are the happiest are in like their private practice with like a group or something like that um, with coverage with, with coverage because they there's a large enough amount of them that they've got a good 
a great work-life balance and they have enough say in the things that they're doing, whether it was OB or family medicine or internal medicine, like all three of those. There were doctors who didn't take calls. I mean, there were doctors in time who just didn't have call. It just depends what you do and where, you, you know, there are, you also can train your patients to not call for certain things. Mm-hmm. Like don't call on the weekend for meds. Like, or just like set clear expectations. Like, Hey, yeah, I mean, you can get me I've till six o'clock on Friday. Yeah. yeah, no, I, you know, like, but after that, we no, I'm not going to treat your cough that you had for like six hours over the phone. Yeah. Yeah, there's yeah, a reason why there's urgent cares now and you yeah, know or yeah, are good. Yeah. Yeah. Or or you just have sick I mean you just figure out how I used to have like walk 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 in sick hours on Friday afternoon. Just first come, first serve, walk in. And it was the best thing in the world. No one wants to be sick all weekend too, or no one, you know. So it was just show up. We'd work until they let everyone was done. It's yeah. great. No, that's great. And then <laughs> clear conscience going into the weekend. More, more like more like an ER in your office, right? A little urgent care. Anyway, what else? Yeah. You <laughs> All right. Um, if you weren't in this line of work, what would you be like in the medical education, medical field? Where do you think you would? I probably would have been um, a teacher mm-hmm. um, or I, I might have. Um, I, I had thought a little bit about architecture and stuff. Mm-hmm. But it seemed really remote. But now I'm super interested in crazy architecture, like Earthships. <laughs> so I could see doing that. It's pretty interesting stuff. You know, having more zero energy, you know, using passive solar. People who, there's a guy in Nebraska called Greenhouses in the Snow, or Oranges in the Snow. I think it's Greenhouses in the Snow. And he grows citrus fruits all year round in his six foot deep under kind of ground greenhouse. I mean, Whoa. all that stuff is, I could see doing all of those different things. It's cool. <laughs> that's what I might do. <laughs> no, that's awesome. Yeah, that's really cool. So that Earthship, is that what you called? Like, It's a crazy hippie thing. I don't think I would have an Earthship. They look like really kind of grungy and you got to like pound dirt into tires. But the whole idea that you have like uh, the back of your house is earth, like mass, and that the front of the house is windows facing, uh, you know, south for like certainly Maine. So you get like passive heat from the sun, cool stuff. And it holds the heat and you recycle your water from your um, like mm. shower and your sink into like a planter. You grow things all year round and then you flush the gray water. That's yeah. cool. Why would you not do that? It's not complicated. Mm-hmm. You know, it's just, you know, there's a person in Portland who does it. <laughs> I was like, our next house, I said to my uh, husband, I was like, our next house might be something like that. And he's like, <laughs> <laughs> <There's> <laughs> <We'll see. that. laughs> There's like a YouTube rabbit hole I got trapped on. There's this woman <laughs> who lives in like the Australian, like it's like tiny home things, but they're all like. Oh, I re- I, yeah, they're hilarious and awesome. Yeah. You can, wait until you look at the Earthship ones. They're ridiculous. And the guy who started it is crazy. But well, he's not, <laughs> Mike Reynolds, I mean, he's like a super hippie, like out of a movie. He's yeah. almost like a caricature. It's fascinating. But then you look like there are people who are, there are these guys who are like engineers and scientists who do it for their retirement home. And instead of like pounding stuff in the a single tire they take tire bales that are already like together they're like a ton of piece and they stick that in the ground but you can also use like cellulose and dirt and you know you can use all these other it doesn't have to be like the answer to recycling tires you know it's still it's amazing stuff that's so. cool yeah never heard of it that'll be my next uh, oh it's like very odd <laughs> very <laughs> odd but i'm still like hmm. but i could see doing all that kind of stuff it's cool stuff yeah, I mean, I don't know. It's interesting. It's 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 interesting to see how like 
I don't know, other people live <laughs> like, and like yeah. the way, the way that that happens. Um, and how what, they, what would you do if you weren't in medicine? Did you have a backup plan? Yeah. I mean, initially, like I thought like education as well too. I thought like, that's, you know, I went, I got like a biology degree and I was like, you know what, probably like, um, like well, I could see myself becoming like a biology yeah. teacher or, and I was like, well, you know, I could become a nursing assistant, try PA school. And I was like, well, eventually I'm going to see myself in medical school. And here we are like five years later. So medicine is awesome. It's great to be a physician. And it's honestly, a lot of it is teaching. And then yeah. if you're lucky, it has some other concrete skills that you like to use, but the, the logic and the thinking, and then the teaching and trying to figure out how to get people to understand what's going on is, is amazing. You yeah. Know, I think it's my favorite part is explaining things to people and trying to get them to understand what's going on. Yeah. Ron, you may come back and be teaching. I don't know. <laughs> we'll see. Yeah. You guys might be in Portland by that time. So, um, you kind of already said this one. Um, so I'll skip. It's like what one piece of advice you give to students. And I feel like you kind of talked about that. Yeah. Um, what's a book that you think, either everybody should read or that you are currently reading or that you kind of come back to um you think it's like an important read for yourself doesn't have to be for everybody else that's so interesting i um i spent a, i used to read a lot and then i went into medicine and i read um through my phone like every new i get all these um journal kind of those journal emails mm -hmm. and even if you don't pay money to the organization you can read the links when they come out as new reports so I read a lot of random journals today I read about monkeypox and the morbidity mortality weekly report so I, I read a lot and so on the side of that I read junk I read like novels but earlier in my life I spent a lot of time um reading um uh I did anthropology in college and so I spent a lot of time like I really was interested in the study of culture and different cultures. And I was really interested in African literature. Um, and I was really interested in, I did a lot of comparative like religion, uh, you know, so it, it's really, and I, what I gathered from those, wherever you get them from, um, I like poetry for that reason um, mm. is the, you know, and I guess I made peace with it already. So it depends on your age, which is like the why, why do you live? What do we live for? What are our priorities? And what are the, how do you decide what's important? And what are your, what's your code? Mm -hmm. You know, what's your moral code? What's your, what's value? But I think I answered it already. So now I just read trash. <laughs> <laughs> I love but, I, but at that, you know, from 20 to probably 30 something, I spent a lot of time, you know, reading through literature, what, what people's cultural priorities were. I mean, I, I don't know. I, in, in high school, I, I got to read like African-American writers like early on. So I read all of Toni Morrison's, all yeah. of, and you know, I, I read Malcolm X in high school. Like we, I read so widely, like wonderful things that really helped, helped me to think about more things. And then I delved into kind of some African literature and then more cross-cultural all around the world. So it's hard to know what it is that people need for meaning, but those things were um, meaningful to me to look outside of my traditions and to see the parallels and sort of purpose. Um, and so for me, that was important. I, I, would, I couldn't be specific that more that you have to figure out if you, can't, if you haven't figured out what your purpose is and what, what gives meaning, then that's what you have to find. Yeah. Um, I mean, I read a lot of existentialism too. That's tough mm -hmm. read, that's not light. That no, was a long time ago. 
but it is one of those touchstones like I look back to, you know? So I, I, I couldn't even tell you. Now it's like vampire novels. I read junk when I'm not doing real medicine. <laughs> I love that though. It's like it's like mind candy, right? You need. You oh, need please! I read junk. Yeah. I'm about ready to delve back into some real literature, you know. Mm-hmm. <laughs> well, it's. I mean, there there are ebbs and flows and waves, but I think, like talking about teachers earlier, my high school English teacher, she's like, "Yeah, why do we read?" It's like we, you read to figure out who you are. Like you know, that's like you you testing mm-hmm. your, and that's kind of you're like, "Well, I know who I am." <laughs> so I'm just well, like, kind of, I, I have I have a good idea. So now I read for adventure. Yeah. And I read travel logs. I just, I just pick up things. I can, I mean, probably like a lot of you guys, I can just like read through a book in a day or two. Like I can just be done and be like, mm. mm-hmm. you know, which is just such a joy, such a pleasure. Yeah. Um, when, when you have that time. <laughs> what's your favorite book? Uh, that's a really good question. I, I'm not sure. It's hard to pick. Yeah. You know, it's, I, there's different books for different reasons. Um, uh, but I just read like a sci-fi series that I really, really like. It's called Hyperion and Follow Hyperion. And it's just like, I'll have to look. It's, it was interesting. Cause like the first book is like, there's like six different people and they're going on like a pilgrimage and they all have to tell like the story to figure out how they're all connected mm-hmm. and they're going. And it's like super futuristic with like AI. And there's a lot of, there's like poetry in it. It's like Hyperion, like a novel or a poem by John Keats. And there's like a mm-hmm. lot of allusions to that. And so we did it as like a book club. And then the second book, like you have to read. And then I just, there's two more that are related to it and do tie to it um, that I just finished. But it's just like a, it was like a lot of time now. I'm like, okay, I want something like a little less because on the book club, people are like picking up certain parts and like, oh, this is like, talk about like Beowulf and like all these allusions in the book. And like, I, you know, I'm just trying to read this to have fun. I don't need to like dissect every like- Get some literature majors there, right? Yeah, exactly. So, I mean, which is good because it helps bring like an, an added benefit yeah. to it, but- yeah, so funny. Yeah, so. <laughs> I never read Beowulf. I'm not sure. That's middle English, isn't it? Yeah, yeah, it's like one of those epic poems. I hadn't read it, read it either, but there's just yeah, there's you know, I'm glad that there are people who truly like enjoy nerding out over that sometimes because it, it's nice it's to see that ancillary. It's exciting. it's exciting to see any passion. Mm-hmm. People, you know, it's cool. Hundred percent agree. Mm-hmm. All right, so we've got one last difficult question. What's your favorite meal? And I'll preface this <laughs> by saying, um, I don't know if you, if you'll do it again but like what two three years ago auctioned off like a, a dinner at your place that was so fun <laughs> yeah so we did surf and turf at dr hanafee's and like me and that was really fun five or six friends went and ate way too much i remember my buddy seth was laying on the ground because he ate too much <laughs> but um they had beers left over from previously and i was like i'm just gonna help you try to finish these beers and i got a little bit too drunk it was um, hilarious. and uh her, her your son was there right um and, or, Great. and uh he had a swear jar so i kept swearing well, he, and i, I had think like, he was like 10 like nine or 10 so it was like that perfect age of still rule following and so <laughs> i kept a lot of money <laughs> letting letting it slide and i had to like like venmo my buddy jordan to give him for him to give me five dollars so i just kept swearing and you kept putting like dollars in there and my son loved it every time you curse them he's like i'll take more <laughs> Uh, oh my god that was really funny i did it one more year um because and it was hilarious because that group started playing drinking games like <laughs> so i was like whoa whoa we can't, can't go into bed 
And then actually we moved to a smaller house and it's been COVID. So it's like yeah. one of those weird, what do you do? It's a weird yeah, time. So, mm-hmm. yeah. so it was fun. <laughs> back to back to that. What's your what's your favorite meal, Dr. Hannah? Honestly, uh, my husband cooks like a ridiculously good chicken parm. And anytime he'll make that or like chicken cutlets, like like restaurant, practically mm-hmm. like restaurant. They're the best thing in the world. Otherwise, I like like a, a hippie soup with like a vegetable quiche. That'd be my go-to. Mm-hmm. Like squash curry, oh, yeah. dill, you know. That's kind of curry you made at uh, oh, did you have that? Yeah, it was good early. That was pretty good. Yeah, the the it's about time to make carrot dill, like it's mm-hmm. about that kind of spring thing, you know, bunnies, all that stuff. It's a carrot dill time, absolutely. <laughs> it sounds delicious. But what's your go to go to meal? I yeah. like always making it like a new one. Like you talk about new hobbies, I like always try making something new. Um, what if I'm making a meal for a lot of people recently? It's been uh, salsa verde uh, enchiladas. Uh, so, yeah. tacos I mean, too tacos are always a win yeah you can't go wrong with any kind no. of like mexican no. most of the time it's just no, like it's delicious yeah amazing easy mm-hmm. delicious yeah. yeah all right well, good fun well thank you so much for that um thanks for having me absolutely and thank you all for listening um let me know if you have any points or comments thank you so much Bye bye <laughs>